Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Little known fact about my guest today, he's an extraordinary teacher and screenwriter, and I wanted to have somebody on the show for those of us who want to write that could help us sit down with suddenly a way to begin, and I believe that this episode will do that for you. Welcome, David Schwab, to the podcast. A-okay. Hey everyone, my guest today is David Schwab. David is a screenwriter based in New York City. Mr. Schwab is a professor of screenwriting at the Graduate Film School at Columbia University. He's also taught at the French National Film School, La Famille, and also at Sundance. He received his MFA in film school from the Columbia University School of the Arts. Mr. Schwab has written for Warner Brothers, Animal Logic, Hollywood Pictures, Propaganda, HDNet Films, Paramount Pictures, and many, many more. He is married to previous podcast guest, Broadway's Judy Kuhn. He is also just one of my favorite, favorite people on the planet, and soon he will be yours as well. And I am so thrilled to have David Schwab on my podcast. And for listeners at home, just so you know, uh, friends of David Schwab call him Schwab. So I think for this interview, that will probably come out of my mouth and I hope that's okay. I like that, Schwab. You like it? Okay. Yeah, oh yeah, Schwab. everybody who loves me calls me Schwab. Well, I love you and now thousands and thousands of people around the world are also going to love you and call you Schwab. So mm-hmm. I have had the honor of like reading so many of your screenplays and I always come away going, this is just one of the most beautiful writers uh, I've ever met. Um, And I want to go back before we talk about craft and ways in which you have learned, not just to hone in on what stories you want to tell, but help other people figure out what stories they want to tell. Um, If you could take me back a little bit in your own life, in your own childhood to how and when, writing uh, became not just clear that it was something you love, but something that you were gifted at. I'll say that for you. You are gifted at it. I, well, thank you. I've never felt gifted at it, but I know why I started to, I was thinking about it this morning is that my father was a bad poet. And, um, but there was something about, um, his love of writing that infected me. And I also think that um, the sound of his voice was very literary to me. It sounded like writing, but I'm completely inspired by, uh, as an eight-year-old or a seven-year-old, 
by my father's writing and the sound of his voice. That was what made me want to become a writer. And were you an early reader? I read, yes, I read all the time to avoid uh, the dysfunction of my family. It was a kind of form of escape, but they were very literary. My father, you know, was a World War II analyst and... um, Psychoanalyst. Psychoanalyst, yes. They, They... they would have play reading groups. They had reading groups. He had, uh, the, there was a, uh, and probably still is, an intellectual tradition among psychoanalysts then to have these reading groups where they get together every week and discuss papers. So it, and there are books all over my house. They went to the theater all the time. So I think that probably had something to do with it. Yeah. And my mother admired my father's writing and it was one of the few things that she seemed to admire too so anyway anyway that my friends is a whole other episode um but i want to uh understand then like i'm thinking of david as like a young person so intellectual household surrounded by books, escaping into books. Were you also um, a sporty kid? I I was a, 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 a sort of a wild, mischievous kid. What 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 does sports have to do with it? I mean, I, I did play sports. Yeah. But I, 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 if you're looking for a moment when I, I just wanted to be a writer and it was kind of a curse. And I never, I wasn't, occasionally I would get good feedback from it. But you mean like in school? In school, I would write a good paper, but I also fucked up all, all the time, handed in everything late. It's cut, It seems like a really idiotic choice to me that I decided to become a writer. I'm very I, serious. I guess I was asking about the sports because I was trying to figure out, like, were you a loner kid in your room reading and scribbling in a journal? Or were oh, no. you also socially very, was, adept and out there? And I was out there. I had a huge uh, social life. Yeah. And always- okay. So you know, you're not professionally, you didn't pursue being a novelist or being a poet, although I know you write in all sorts of forms. So when it was time to go to college, which I know you did, were you a writing major or an English major? I took some writing courses, but I dropped out of them. (laughs) Okay. All right. Because I, I was, uh, I was intimidated by them. And I thought it was, I, I really didn't think I was very good at it. Okay, so how did it become your profession? Uh, I I left um, college and got a job at um, a magazine called Sale Magazine in Boston, where I started to write about. Um, sa- I started to write about sailboats and sailing, and was taught sort of the craft of being a precise and neat writer. Uh-huh. And, I started doing some freelance journalism. I made some attempts at novels then, and um, but they failed, and I I never uh, pursued it. I I did a edited a travel book. You know, my I started begin, gaining a little more confidence in my writing during my twenties, and then I met Judy Kuhn, and I uh, I um, applied to film school. <laughs> Are those two connected? I feel like they are. And I'm not sure. Do you really want to know why? Yeah. 
I, I thought it was time to get off my ass and do something a little more serious if I, I wanted to stay with her. Because she was, was such a serious artist. Yes. She took her and craft I thought, so seriously. Yes. And but I also thought it prompted me to to, you know, become more serious about my writing. Yeah. Just because people uh really love any personal stories. And Judy is, you know, um someone who is so beloved by so many of my listeners and you and me. Did you um did you see her in a show? before you knew her or did you see her the first time you saw her perform after you already knew her uh it was a blind date and our first our i i had a dinner with her and then our first date in boston and she was up there uh doing rags and so it was the second time i met her i saw her on stage yeah. You're like, she's pretty good. Yeah, but I'm not that big. <laughs> I wasn't that big a fan of uh, musicals at that time. Right. Like you, that's what I wanted to ask in terms of theater. Did you go up? I mean, you grew up where? In Outside of Philadelphia. Did you guys come to New York to see shows? Yeah, we did, but not musicals. Okay. Yeah. Got it. I think that okay. might have been the first musical I had seen was with Judy in it with rags so you decide okay i'm going to start taking myself more seriously in Mm -hmm. a certain way i'm going to commit to this thing you have to to get into columbia do you have to make a film do you have to do you have to uh no back then you you didn't i you wrote treatments of screenplay ideas and uh you wrote an autobiographical statement and um and uh that that was pretty much it but so i i got in on that Okay, so I want to talk about, because one of the reasons, I mean, I've wanted to have you on the show for so long, and I'm so happy we're doing it today, because my desire to really, like, I don't know, like, excel, the ex- expedite the process of having you on um, and push you to come on quickly is we're in, as we speak today, an actor strike that's been right. going on. You know, the WA, WGA strike has been finished but the actor strike continues and I meet so many actors out of a desire to remain creative during this time they're writing they're starting to write and I think actors are very good at sort of knowing what dialogue rings true and what dialogue doesn't ring true just because that's what they do that they're 10,000 hours in like reading dialogue but so many of them have talked to me about like I have a thousand ideas and I'm never, they're, they're having a hard time, let's say committing, like what's the thing I want to write. And so I know in talking to you, and this is a big jump from your personal life to sort of what you do professionally now, which is not the right for yourself, but help others uncover stories that they want to tell or figure right. out which story to tell. Right. And without asking you to give us your like screenwriting professorship for free, I do wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about what you've learned over the years about how to go about when you know, like this is the one that's not just a great idea, but really to spend time on. With that, I think the craft of choosing your story is a real craft and I, mm-hmm. and I was looking over some notes this morning. I think it's sadly neglected at film schools where students are given a week to sort of choose what they're going to write. 
And they often end up choosing stories that lack a sense of conviction, that lack sort of a, a, um, a uh, doesn't seem like it's coming from them. They lack a, a, a sense of authority about what they're writing about. I, you know, I have kept for the last 30 years a notebook of stories and it's now 250 pages. And it, uh, you know, one time my father sent me a drawing of a hummingbird and it just struck me. It struck me. I, and I didn't know what I was going to do with it, but I wrote it into my notebook because I thought, you know, maybe this is, I've always wanted to write a story about my father. Maybe this was an angle into it and I'll save it. I, you know, I will read something in a New York review of books, a historical story, and I'll write it down. So I think that um, it's you I, I, and I noticed that my students uh, uh, almost uniformly are afraid of writing something that makes them feel vulnerable. And you feel it in their in their writing. So I think it seems to me that people, the best screenplays I've read, the closer they are to home, the closer they are to autobiographical material, whether it's disguised or not, they that tends to make the strongest writing. So for in screenwriting, it's an error that people seem to make all the time, constantly. And and even in graduate film school, I'm, you know, I'm pushing them to expose themselves in in the proper way all the time. So I think that that is uh is a major, major thing to consider if you are writing a story, right? Are there prompts for something like that to open yourself up in that way? That's an excellent question. I've never thought about that before. I mean, the thing that I always teach, and I'm going to assume most of your audience, you know, especially if, uh, if they're actors, they understand what dramatic problems are. But I don't think you can begin to write a story unless you fear for the character that you're writing about, the audience fears for the character you're writing about. That somehow they're in danger. And um, and I think that, um, and that means, you know, they can be, it can be saving Pri Private Ryan. They are in uh, physical danger or it's an internal problem you know, Jack Nicholson in Five Easy Pieces, he's leading this sort of empty, frivolous life. And you feel that if he doesn't address it, he's going to be alone. He's going to have be full of regrets. So I think that the the first test of a of what of a story is do you have a substantial dramatic problem that can that can uh sustain a, a movie. And, and and I think that you as a uh, so then a writer who's thinking about a story, I think that they should have a dramatic problem that they truly that they understand that they, that they can feel that they can write about. Yeah, right. Does that make sense. Yes. Yes. So, in order to for you, because you've been writing for many many years now. How different is it to teach about writing, to teach the craft and do the craft? Like, that's in, yeah. How well, do you? I mean, that's two different parts of your right. your life and your brain and your 
forward facing. Right, right, right. I mean, right, 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 not right, right, right. Um, <laughs> I think that that's an interesting thing. Uh, you know, the one thing that I, I, I think a teaching makes you a better writer. It forces you to articulate um, those, um, the, the things that you need to, to apply to your own writing. But um, that it's very, it, it's very easy to say these things. You know, uh, my writing teacher, uh, first writing directing teacher was a, a director named Amir Kusturisa, who won Khan um, time and time again. And he, he was from then what was Yugoslavia. And he came into class, he could barely speak English. And he said, character must have dramatic problem. And I spent years thinking about that. Mm-hmm. It's such a simple statement. I feel like people fail to understand, uh, my students fail to understand what a, a dramatic problem is. And I, I don't know whether it's because they're young or, I mean, they're in their 20s. I don't know why it takes so long to understand this craft, which can be explained simply, but is so difficult to really get into your bones. Right. And and that statement, a dramatic problem, is just as relevant whether you're writing a drama or a comedy. Yes. I think people think they're very different in terms of what the character wants or needs or is going through. And I would imagine it's just a different way of telling the same want story. Yes. And, 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 and also it took me years and years and years to, uh, to actually put what I'm talking about into practice because I was afraid of doing it. Um, you know, and, and Frank Danielle, who's, my favorite writing teacher, and he he uh, he was part of the Czech New Wave. Said you can always tell uh, the students who are scared because they turn to genre. About the students who are afraid of telling their stories turn to genre. Yeah, it's safer. So, what are I mean? Now that you are, I'll use the word seasoned, like someone who has completed many projects, meaning you know. At this point, I'm sure every time it feels scary, but you have done it enough. You have finished enough screenplays that you have written for yourself or for somebody else with a deadline. So you have accomplished that. And so I'm sure um, the process remains elusive at times, but, but you are at a point where you're like, I've been hired and I finished the thing and I can rewrite and rewrite. Um, have you learned for yourself at this point rituals or things you need every day to be a writer? What do you need to do every day? Uh, what do you right. need to what 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 are the parameters that uh, you know see. you need to be successful? Uh, Judy told me last night uh, she had heard an, an, an Olivia Coleman interview about her process. Have you heard this? And she said, yeah, this is how her process goes. Scared, 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 bored. <laughs> um, I I think that everybody has a time of day when they write the best. Yeah. I think that, um, and I, for me, it's early in the morning. The earlier, the better. I think that it's um, important to, I, I don't know, you can do two hours, three hours. You can't, overwriting is a terrible thing. Uh, I think that you have to have, uh, 
you can't become disconnected from your writing. I mean, it was, I think it was Hemingway who sort of said, and I, I apologize for quoting that pig, but that you needed to stop at a place where you felt like you were still felt like you had ideas. So the next day you could connect to it. And I think sometimes people will over, will overthink, overwrite, get tired and lose, lose faith. Um, I think writing is terrifying. And, uh, you know, every time I come in in the morning, I'm anxious. And I, I th and every morning I look at the page and I think I can't do this. I don't think that's an uncommon feeling. And I think you just have to force your way uh, through the anxiety. I write in a journal uh, every day uh, before I start writing because it's taught me to, it removes um, the practice of writing in a journal and not caring about what you have to say uh, removes, starts to remove some of the voices from you. It's a, it's a practice to be uninhibited. Um, I know, I, I do, believe it or not, read before I write. I read uh, poetry. I, I'm reading, um, um, I, or I'll read something that inspires me. For some reason, I feel like it, the voice of a great writer, I can, uh, in, it, it in, influences me. And I almost, I can feel like I can take their music and apply it to my own writing. So I always, I always do that. And I've learned to I've learned to realize you can't I can't force myself. You have to daydream. You have to be playful. You have to figure out ways of being relaxed about it as well. But then I say this in that everybody has an idiosyncratic writing process. Mm -hmm. Some people, you know, uh, are able to do it at night, and you know, some people can write it in two days. This is just mine, and it's just taken me, you know, a long time to figure it out. When you write dialogue, do you say it out loud? Do you talk to yourself? Do you act out the parts? I don't. And I'm kind of, I, I hear it in my head. And I'm sort of uh, talking about it in my head. But I'm nervous. I get nervous about dialogue. It's a weakness of mine. Really? Yeah. That surprises me because you're such a um, fluid, articulate, person you're, but inhabiting you're in life but inhabiting character and yeah. understanding who a character is and really knowing what they would say it's hard that's hard it's hard for me so in a in a academic setting often you're you're working on whatever you're working on you bring it into class and often it's read out loud other students will read it um you're not a student you're an adult person do you yeah. do you ask people to do that for you uh i do i do i have a couple of readers um but nobody's very helpful mm. and i hate showing my stuff to people unless it's i feel good about it and how I, do you I know how do you know when at like how do you know you feel good about it what happens <laughs> Um, I, I've only learned to feel good about my writing in the last few years, but I think there's a, well, sometimes you have, you have no choice because there's a deadline, right. but I think, uh, I think um, there's a tuning fork and, you know, that goes, oh, I, you know, I've done them the, as much as I can. And I've hit the, this act has all the beats in it. And when I read it, I don't want to, 
uh, hit myself with a hammer. That's how you know. It's yeah. the hammer test. Do you have a hammer on your desk at all? No, but times? now that we've had this conversation, <laughs> I'm going to buy a mallet. I think that you should. Um, what is different? Because you started out, I mean, you've been a journalist, you've written poetry, you've written novels. Um, what is what is different about writing a screenplay in your experience than those other forms? Uh, that's an, uh, I, I haven't written and I've tried to write poetry and novels, but mm. uh, what a, the, a screenplay, the, the structure of a screenplay is very demanding. And uh, I think, and that structure is, it's very difficult to marry sort of the science of structure with an act of imagination too. Because mm, yeah. I think for the most part, you do have to hit certain structures certain moments in a script and uh and that's it's very difficult and it's also a very you know when you think about all the words in a screenplay there aren't many you can't and you're you're restricted on the things that you the kind of writing you can do you can't explain uh how a character is feeling you have to come up with dialogue and behavior to indicate internal states. And I think that's very, you know, very difficult. I think it's also, you know, second acts when you're trying to marry emotional logic with plot is also very difficult. So you have to come up with a plot that produces tension, but you also have to come up with writing about that plot that creates events moments, dialogues, relationships that change the character to lead them into the third act. You know, if a script is about change or the lack of it, it's essential to, to feel like a character genuinely is changed by the second act struggle. And that's not easy in a, in a short space with this limited kind of writing. That makes sense? Yeah, I, I want to go back to young young Schwab when you sort of talked about the world of books and words being so prevalent in your household. When did you, what are films that were really impactful for you as a young person? Um, when did film become something that made you really happy and movies? Was that part of your yes. younger life as well? Uh, I saw Fellini's... Uh... La Strada, and also uh, Juliet of the Spirits at the Philadelphia's Theater of the Living Arts it was a downtown uh, movie theater. And they were the first foreign films I think I had seen. Mm -hmm. I think I was stoned out of my mind. But it, it was the first time I think I recognized how film could be novelistic and literary and full of poetry. Yeah. And then after that, uh, I became influenced by um, the uh, uh, the Czech New Wave, and they they became sort of my uh, inspiration. They were inspiration. There's a little known movie called Intimate Lighting that it 
to me is like the most perfect film ever made. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to watch that. Yeah. Okay. Intimate lighting. So what are like, if you were going to a deserted island and somehow on this deserted island, there was the ability to watch one film, what would be the one film uh, that you could watch over and over again for all eternity until you were you were saved. Maybe Fanny and Alexander. I remember watching that and thinking it wasn't. I I forgot that I was in a movie. I, mm. I mean, I haven't watched it that many times, and I've had that experience with reading the last story in uh, James Joyce's. Uh, you know, the Dubliners, there's a, a, a short story called The Dead. And it, you the stories are so powerful that you forget that you're an audience or a reader and you sort of are taken into the world. And so, yeah, maybe. Do you listen to me? David is also like a, a, a music lover, a musician, and just quite uh, deeply steeped in music as well in your life. Would you listen? You don't listen to music. I anymore. watch movies. You watch movies while you write? <laughs> <laughs> and write down what those characters say? <laughs> you know what? I'm going to write. I'm going to write this movie. Um, this is good. Hit stop, right? No, <laughs> no, I, 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 I do the same. Watching a good movie yes. does the same thing as reading a good book. It, it somehow, it, I feel like there's this. I'm hoping that there's a transfer of mm. the rhythms and the tone and the intelligence and the poetry of a film into what I want to do. So mm. I'll write for a half an hour and I'll get, I'll get. Uh, you know, slow down and I'll take a break to relax myself and I'll watch, you know, a movie. It could be relevant to what I'm doing or not, not the whole thing, just bits of it. Yeah. So I remember when you told me years ago that you wanted to teach, um, it wasn't something you had done. Obviously, even in the short conversation, there are so many teachers who were so inspirational for you. What is it that you love about teaching well uh back to my father who was an excellent patient loving teacher i think i i enjoy somehow recreating that experience i love brainstorming with people about writing mm -hmm. i mean after spending all this time thinking about it i love hearing ideas I love helping people. I, you know, I've struggled with my writing for so for so long. I like helping these students um, struggle with their writing. I, I love uh, listening to the ideas of of other writers. You know, um, especially these young, the younger ones, because they're teaching me things that I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't know. So you know, you're in this room listening to all these smart people talk about their their ideas. And and it's a it's you know it's wonderful. I mean, I think I come away uh, learning uh, quite a bit. And also, um, I like uh, feeling like I'm uh, 
in a position of authority because it doesn't exist anywhere outside my life. And it feels like I'm being a parent again, which I enjoyed mm-hmm. so much. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that that's, um, you know, I think, it re- you know, relates to it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, um, I know I have to let you go. I really love that I get to say publicly now um, how inspiring I find you as a person, how, how much I love your talent and how it inspires me to work harder and do more. So much of this podcast uh, happened or continued to happen because of your um, support of me trying this new thing. And I thought, okay, if Schwab, you know, you listened to my first episodes with John Slattery and you just left me the greatest message ever for someone embarking on a new creative project. Before I let you go, is there a little known fact about David Schwab that you can share? Yeah, I uh, can uh, blow spit bubbles out of my mouth. And I, sometimes when I go to the movie theater and I'm waiting in line, I send spit bubbles over people's heads and they waft over their heads and you you watch them look around trying to figure out where it came from. Was that the kind of fact that you were looking for? <laughs> it, it it actually wasn't what I was looking for. And it's so much better than what I could ever <laughs> hope for. Thank you. Thank you for being on the podcast. I think this is just um, helpful. And wonderful. And will make people uh, want to sit down and and write a story uh, that is deeply personal. I know I've come away from that today. So thank you. Thank you. Is there anything else uh, on your mind before we say goodbye? Uh, No, nothing on my mind before we say goodbye. All right. Well, I will see you soon. Yes, you will. Thank you. Okay. Bye, honey. Bye. Bye. I have some news. Little Known Facts is now available to watch on YouTube. Hours and hours and hours of interviews that you can see my fabulous guests. And guess what it's called? Little Known Facts with Alana Levine. Catchy, right? Anyway, head on over to YouTube and watch the podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe. Also, if you want to donate to the podcast, zero pressure, but if you want to, no donation is too big or too small. I am so grateful for you for listening, but if you want to donate, just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com forward slash donations. Lastly, Little Known Facts is recorded in Brooklyn, New York, USA. My editor is Nicholas Clark. None of this happens without Nicholas. And the Little Known Facts theme song was composed and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. Thank you for listening and have an amazing day. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.